This morning, I invite you to take a copy of God's Word. Look with us to our passage found in the book of Matthew, first book of the New Testament, book of Matthew, chapter 1. And we're going to begin reading with verse 20 this morning. As I said a few moments ago, a lot of times we think this passage is only about Christmas. It's not. Uh, This passage refers to the gospel. And while you're turning there, I I said it in the early service, that picture, I I still think Jeff Wallace was standing on a box. Did anyone else think that? It just, it didn't, okay, one person, thank you. That's what it looks like. Now, we're all going to look at that picture again. I think you're standing on a box. So, he said he wasn't. We'll find out. Book of Matthew, chapter 1. We're getting reading in verse 20. We're looking at, the past few weeks, and we'll finish next week, we're looking at names of God. And there are hundreds of names in the Bible about God. Each name reveals a characteristic about him. It reveals something that we need to know. It shows us how he relates to us. It shows us uh, how we can pray to him. And every name is very important. And again, there are hundreds and hundreds of names. We're just looking at a few of them. And today we're going to be looking at this one found in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Book of Matthew, chapter 1. Like I said, let's begin reading with verse 20. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Pray with me. Our Father, today as we look again at one of the names, we ask you to help us to understand it. Especially, Father, because this name explains everything about the Bible. Because it's all about the gospel. Show us, Father, who you are. And help us, Father, that we will respond to what you show us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Soren Kierkegaard was a Danish theologian who loved to tell stories to demonstrate truth. Tell stories to demonstrate truth the gospel. One story that he told was about a prince. Once there was a prince who wanted to find his future queen. One day near the palace, as he was entering the city, as they were going through a poor section of town, he looked out the window and saw the most beautiful woman in the world, and he fell in love. He came back to that town again, hoping he would see her, And every day he would travel back to the town, that that section of town, hoping he would lay eyes on her. And sure enough, he saw her again. And he realized she is the most beautiful woman in the world. And he loved her. And he wanted to make her his queen. He wanted to marry her. The problem was, how would he know if she truly loved him? And so he began to think of all the different ways. I mean, first of all, he could order her to the palace. I mean, he had that uh, that, that power. He could order her to the palace and order her to marry him. But if he did that, he would never know if she truly loved him. Maybe she just did it out of because he ordered her. 
He thought, well, he could arrive at her door dressed in, in his best garment and ask her hand in marriage. But if he did that, the result would be the same. How would he know that she loved him as opposed to just loving his money, his riches? Then he thought, well, I could masquerade as a peasant to gain her interest. I I could dress like a peasant, and I could go and propose marriage to her. And then if she agrees, then we get married. Then I could remove the mask, and I could show her I'm actually the prince. But if he did that, he would be a phony. He would be a liar. be dishonest. So finally, he came up with another plan. He decided his love for her was so great, he would give up his royal position. He gave up the crown. He decided to move into the city, become a peasant, take a job, let's say like a carpenter. During the time at the city, he would learn to get to know the people. He would understand their interests, their concerns. He would learn how they spoke. And then maybe just possibly he might run into her. And then maybe just possibly they could start talking. And then maybe just possibly they would fall in love. And she would agree to marry him. And sure enough, he did run into her. And they did begin to talk. And she did fall in love with him. And they married. And after they married, he told her of his great love for her and what he had given up to be with her. And they lived happily ever after. Kierkegaard said this is a story to help us understand God. What you just heard was the gospel story. God's love for humanity was so great. He loved us so much and he wants us to love him back. But how could he do that? He couldn't order us to do it because if he made us do it, then that would not be love on our part. He couldn't just shower us with gifts because then do we really love him or do we love his gifts? And so he decided at the beginning of time, his plan was to become a man. He would give up the royalty and come to earth and live among us to understand us better. And he would go and die on a cross for our sins so that we could come to him. It is the ultimate love story. The last few weeks, we've been looking at the various names of God. And all the names we've been looking at have been found in the Old Testament. Today, we're going to be looking at a name that's found in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is the name Emmanuel. The name emphasizes the nearness of God. And so this morning, I just really want to look at two things. I want us to look at the meaning of the name and then the message of the name. First, the meaning of the name. Again, as I said, this name is found in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7. It's found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 8. It's found in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, we just read. To understand this passage in Matthew, chapter 1, you have to go back to the book of Isaiah to see where it was used the first time. You have to understand Isaiah chapter 7 in order to understand Matthew chapter 1. So I have to give you a little history lesson, okay? It goes back to the book of Isaiah. This happened around 700 B.C. We find this nation, Assyria, and they're rising to power in the Middle East. And all the nations were fearful because the Assyrians were warlike people. 
And they decided we have to join together to stop them. So they formed an allegiance to go against Assyria. And so they come to Jerusalem, and they come to the king, King Ahaz, and they ask King Ahaz, join our allegiance. King Ahaz didn't want to do it because, frankly, he didn't like them. He didn't like the other nations. Now, he didn't like Assyria either, but he didn't want to form their alliance, allegiance. And so he said no. And the other nations became angry with them. And so Syria and the other nations said, we're going to come and we're going to conquer Jerusalem. We're going to take you off the throne. We're going to put our own king there. And that's how we'll have this allegiance. Ahaz didn't know what to do. He freaked out. And about that time, a message came from the king of Syria. And the king from Assyria said, join us. And we will protect you from those other nations. So Ahaz now has this choice. I can become an alliance with the enemy, or I can have an alliance with people that I don't like. And so Ahaz doesn't know what to do, and God sends a messenger, a prophet named Isaiah. And he comes here, and he says, here's what God says. Don't join either side. God will protect you. Now, that sounded impossible. I mean, Assyria was growing in power and might. The other nations formed together. They had power and might. And here's God saying, don't join either, that God is going to protect them. Ahaz was really confused. And then Isaiah said, God is going to give you a sign. And Ahaz, I love this. He said, don't, I don't want a sign. If God gives me a sign, then I have to do it. And Isaiah said, it doesn't work that way, Ahaz. I'm giving you a sign. And so in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse, verse 14, we have this verse. This is the sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, in the Hebrew language, the word virgin can have one or two meanings. It could mean a girl who never had sex, or it could mean a girl of marriageable age. Now, in this time period, when they heard this, they assumed it was just a girl of a marriageable age, but that makes no sense. A girl of marriageable age is going to have a child? I mean, that's like saying, here's a prophecy, and the prophecy will be cats will meow and dogs will bark. It made no sense. And then there was a baby born in the household, and they said, well, I guess the sign had been fulfilled but it wasn't that impressive. Fast forward 700 years. This prophecy had been a mystery for 700 years in Scripture. It just seemed out of place. And now in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, the angel says, now the prophecy is going to be fulfilled. This is what God was talking about. This woman, and that Greek word there is virgin, only has one definition. This virgin will have a child, and I will fulfill my promise to Abraham. You see, so God told Ahaz, I will protect my nation, and the Messiah is going to come through this nation. I will give you a sign this is going to happen. Ahaz never saw the sign because it happened 700 years later. You see, what God was saying to Ahaz, no one's going to stop the Messiah from coming. Assyria doesn't have that power. Syria doesn't have that power. No one, nothing can stop my will from being accomplished. So Ahaz is is thinking deliverance from one invading army. 
And God is promising ultimate deliverance from all the enemies. And so God came into the world and took on humanity. We call that the incarnation. The Son of Man, the Son of God is one. 100% God, 100% man. Emmanuel, the child, fulfilling all the prophecy. That's what the word means. It means God is with us. Emmanuel. By the way, that word sums up the Bible. Emmanuel. I mean, this is not just some peripheral, uh, something on the side story. This is the whole gospel. This is the whole Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, it is the story of Emmanuel. That is the meaning of the name God with us. So what is the message? The message of the name. I mean, why is this so important? Because God has been promising this all through history. This is not a new idea. From the beginning of Genesis all the way through, we see this idea that God is going to be with his people. So, for example, in the book of Genesis, chapter 26, verse 3, he tells Isaac, the son of Abraham, I will be with you and bless you, for to you and your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath, the covenant that I swore to your father Abraham. Then later on, Isaac's son Jacob, God gives him another promise, same promise, Genesis chapter 31, verse 3. He says, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Then in Genesis chapter 48, Jacob is dying. He gathers his sons, and he blesses his sons, and this is what he says to them. Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you, and he will bring you again in the land of your fathers. Then the people are slaves in Egypt, and God has not forgotten them. God will be with them. And so God calls Moses, Moses to be their deliverer. And Moses says, how can I stand up against Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world? And God tells Moses in Exodus chapter 3, I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain, that the presence of God will be all that you need, Moses, to face down the might of Pharaoh. They leave Egypt, and they go into the wilderness, and then they come to the the promised land. And then in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, God says to Joshua the same thing. He said, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life, for just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not forsake you nor leave you. Be strong and courageous. All through the Bible, God is saying, I will be with you. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, he said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and will not cast you off. Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 43, verse 2, he says again, he said, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Over and over and over, God says the same thing. I will be with you. No matter what. Moses, you can face down the most powerful man in the world. The people of Egypt cannot stand against you. The children of Israel will get to the promised land. God said, I will be with you. But there's a problem. God said, I will be with you. But there's a major problem. We are sinners. God is a holy God. And we cannot be in the presence of God. 
God is unapproachable. I mean, Moses was as close to God as probably anyone in the Old Testament. And God says to Moses in Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, he says, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. All through the Old Testament, God says, I will be with you. But we can't come to God. He's unapproachable in his holiness. That's the problem. So what's the solution? God had been with the people in many different ways through the Old Testament. But from the very beginning of time, God had another plan. He would come here as a man and be with us. Emmanuel. Why did he do it? Two reasons. Number one, to represent us. To represent us. God became man to represent us. The Bible says we are sinners. We are all guilty before God. See, the reason we sin is because we're sinners. Okay? We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We can't solve that. We can't answer that. God became man to represent us. Emmanuel means God himself came to be in our place. God is with us. So here, God, the holy God, the just judge, passed sentence upon us, guilty as charged, and then he steps up, comes around from the bench, and takes the place of the condemned. That's what Jesus did for us. Jesus paid our debt on the cross. God is with us. He represented us. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And then he says, for your sake, God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, what happens, there's an exchange. Jesus died on the cross. All the sins was placed upon Jesus. Now we have a way to come before the holy God. Now when we come to God through Jesus, it's not our sins there. It's Jesus' righteousness because he's already paid the price. Emmanuel, God with us. He paid our debt, so now we can come to the Father with Jesus. So he came to represent us, but secondly, he came to sympathize with us. Jesus came that he may understand us better. And, you know, sometimes we we hear that and we, we just go by without thinking about it. I want you to think about what Jesus did. I mean, we talk about the prince giving up royalty. Think what God did. The God whose glory filled the heavens is now cradled in the arms of a mother. The God who does not sleep, we later found, find exhausted, asleep in the bottom of a boat, in the middle of a storm. The God who breathed life into Adam at the dawn of creation, we find him weeping at the graveside of a friend named Lazarus. The God who hung stars and led his people out of slavery in Egypt by his mighty right hand had nails driven into his hands at the cross. The God who is the just judge was condemned to death at Calvary. This is an amazing story. This is a God who understands us. This is God who understands everything we go through. And you look at the gospel story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see Jesus identifying with us, and now we know how he can connect with us. So, for example, Sunday night, we're studying the book of John. Let me just give you some of the ways, just some of the ways in the book of John that Jesus can connect and what it means. 
Nathaniel, thinking and praying under a tree, and Jesus answered his question. You know what that means? That means you can bring all your questions to Jesus. That means you can bring all your prayers, and Jesus will hear them. Jesus attending a wedding. Jesus rescued the servants because the wine ran out. Do you know what that means? You can bring all your emergencies, whether small or great, to Jesus. Jesus explaining, explaining the, the uh, gospel story, explaining the, to a Bible scholar named Nicodemus. You know what that means? You can bring your spiritual struggles, even your doubts about salvation to Jesus. Jesus sitting at a Samaritan well, talking to a woman who was out, an outcast stained with sin. You know what that means? You can come to Jesus with your past, present, and future, and he will accept you. Jesus approaching the paralytic on the ground, this man who was helpless and hopeless, and Jesus heals him. You know what that means? That means you can bring your limitation, your weaknesses, and your sins to Jesus. Jesus coming to that major storm on the boat. Jesus calmed the storm, and he quieted the disciples. And you know what that means? You can bring all your fears to Jesus. Jesus finding a blind man from birth in darkness. Jesus opened his eyes. That means you can bring your confusing time, your darkness to Jesus. Defeating death and hopelessness at the grave of Lazarus, Jesus gave new life. You know what that means? You can cast all your fears about death to Jesus. Assuring the disciples who had troubled heart, Jesus assured them of a place in heaven. You know what that means? You can bring your future to Jesus. Finding Thomas who had doubts about Jesus, about what he saw, Jesus assured him. In John chapter 20, you know what that means? You can bring your doubts to Jesus no matter what they are. No matter how dark, no matter how painful, how embarrassing they may be, Jesus will listen. Seeing Peter on the shore, restoring Peter, the one who denied him three times, you know what that means? You can bring your failures, whether public or private, to Jesus, and he will restore you. See, Jesus is Emmanuel. He came to sympathize with us. That means every sin can be forgiven. Every doubt can be overcome. Any sadness can be comforted. Any disappointment can be stopped. Any fearfulness can be arrested. Any loneliness can be ended. Any defilement can be cleansed if you come to Jesus. He's Emmanuel. He understands us. Ross Edgley is an extreme adventurer ultramarathon swimmer. He holds multiple world records, but he's probably best known for the world's longest stage sea swim in 2018. On June 1st, 2018, Edgley started an adventure no one had ever done before, but he wanted to do, and that is to swim around Great Britain. For those keeping score, that's 1,791 miles, and he was going to swim around it. 157 days he swam. He would swim for 12 hours in the freezing water. Then he was sleeping on his catamaran and then jumped back into the water to swim some more. 1,792 miles. Nearly 23 weeks without ever stepping on dry land. By the way, his body took a toil of this. Because he had not walked on the waters, his arches fell. He had a torn shoulder. Because he wore the wetsuit, he developed severe sores on his skin all over his body. He had 37 uh, jellyfish stings, including one jellyfish that attached itself to his face, stinging him while he was swimming. 
The constant exposure to salt water caused part of his tongue to fall off. I know it's gross, but it's still the story. They said it grew back. He never took a day off. Every day, he swam for 12 hours. As he was coming to the end of his destination, he began to be concerned. What if he doesn't make it? I mean, after all this, what if I don't make it? When he saw his destination, he was coming to the end. His body had been pushed to the limits. There was the shoreline. What if I fail now? I've been swimming for weeks. Can I finish? And as he is swimming, he saw something. He saw 300 swimmers coming out to meet him. Not super athletes, not ultra athletes, ordinary people swimming out to guide him home. They came out to him to swim with him. There are times you think you won't be able to make it. There are going to be times when life is difficult, life is tough, and you don't know if you can carry on. There are times you're going to wonder, is it worth the effort? There are going to be times you're going to wonder, does God even care? There are going to be times you're going to wonder, do I have any friends around? And you're wondering, can I keep going on? And then you're going to look up and you're going to see Jesus, Emmanuel. He's with you. There are going to be days you just want to say, that's it. There's going to be days you're going to say, I'm confused. I don't understand what's going on. There's going to be days you're going to say, God, I don't get any of this. And then you're going to look up, and you're going to see Emmanuel, Jesus, with you. And you can carry on. He's Emmanuel. Because Jesus came for us and to be with us. He came for us to bring us to the Heavenly Father. He came to be with us in our place, our suffering, our sinfulness to sympathize with our weaknesses. God came because that was our greatest need. Someone once said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, and God sent a Savior, and his name is Emmanuel. God is with us. Would you stand by your heads? From Genesis 1, throughout the Bible, there's the story that God wants to be with us. And at the very beginning of time, God had a plan how that could happen by sending his son, the Messiah, to die for us. His name is Emmanuel. And today, God is with you. If you're here this morning and you are a believer, God is with you. Maybe there's something God is asking you to do. Maybe God is asking you to serve him in a special way. Maybe in the mission field, the ministry. Will you respond? Or maybe you gave your life to Christ, but you've never been baptized. God is calling you to fulfill that obligation, to be baptized. God is with you.
Maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ. God is with you too. He's calling you to Him. He's calling you to repentance. He's calling you to admit that you're a sinner, believing that He died for you and giving Him everything so He can introduce you to the Father. Will you do that this morning? If you're online and you would like to give your life to Christ, if you would text the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call. But if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, will you do so as we begin singing, come to the front, talk to me or one of the ministers? No more excuses. No more hesitation. Because when you look up, you'll see Emmanuel there with you calling you. Father, speak to us now. Help us, Father, that we will respond in urgency because you're calling us. And Father, for that person who's ready to give up, that person who's tired, Father, for that person who has all these questions, Father, let them look up and see Emmanuel. He hasn't left us, and he never will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.